Good morning, everyone. My name is Michael Mattis, and I pastor Saltbox Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. You know, it's been kind of neat because we are just wrapping up a series that we've called Beautiful Attitudes on the Beatitudes that Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I've had a lot of people ask me, Michael, where did the name Saltbox come from? And so I actually wanted to kind of do a one-off Sunday and speak to that. So the very next passage of Scripture, right after the Beatitudes, is Matthew 5, 13 uh, through 16. And I wanted to read that, and then I actually want to talk about uh, where this name Saltbox came from, and then sort of the biblical mandate uh, for us as believers um, to become salt and light. You know, a lot of times I think believers sort of uh, can have the tendency to huddle and um, want to hide instead of really push beyond the walls. And really, it's fascinating as we look at the words of Jesus, his heart is always um, going out, pushing out, reaching those who are maybe marginalized or uh, feeling left out or disregarded. So let's look at the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, picking up um, at verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be literally thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Lord Jesus, would you enliven us with this scripture tonight? Would you um, fall fresh upon us? Would you give us eyes to see and even ears to hear and then the courage to actually become salt and light? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, you know, what's fascinating to me is right away you begin to think about salt and you think about light. And every home um, throughout really all time has had both salt and light. It doesn't matter whether uh, the home is rich or poor. It doesn't matter what country you're in. You know, it's, it, it is in every kitchen since times of old, there is going to be a little container that holds salt and there's going to be something that provides light. It, it may be a candle. It may be a fire. It may be an oil lamp. Or if you're in modern Western countries, it's going to be electricity with the flick of a switch. But salt and light is universal to every family, every home, everywhere. And, you know, sometimes I have actually imagined Jesus because we have this, um, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have these uh, basically three short years of the life of Jesus in the Gospels. And there's actually 30 years of Jesus's life that are almost silent. We have some stuff from age one and two, and then we have a little blip when he's 12. But by and large, there's, there's like 28, 29 years of just total silence where we don't know what his life was like. And I imagine him uh, coming home from work with Joseph and then spending time with Mary. And then even as the sun sets, pulling out uh, whatever she is going to use to light a little oil lamp or to light a candle. I actually imagine Jesus working alongside Mary and Joseph to season food or to cook dinner or maybe even to use salt to um, actually purify or, or preserve meat. So literally as Jesus is, is preaching this, you can sort of imagine him sitting there as this, um, he's in this natural stone amphitheater and the crowds are before him. You can imagine him almost sitting there as he says these words, thinking back to his own childhood, to where salt and light was used. So, you know, the theme um, 
of, of Christians is, is different than, than probably the bedrock theme of the, the Sermon on the Mount. So, so let me actually say it like this. Um, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at this entire sermon that Jesus preached, is to be different. And in Greek, different is this word hagios, and it, and it literally means uh, to be holy or to be different. And I think I would have to say, as we launch into this, if Christians um, are indistinguishable from non-Christians, then we're useless. And I think that's what Jesus is actually saying here is, you know, if, if salt is no longer salty, it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So let me say that again. If Christians are not able to be distinguished from non-Christians, then we are useless. So let's switch gears a second and go, okay, why the name Saltbox. Where'd that come from? If I disclosed a little bit in my own journey and in my own life, I was at a point where I was somewhat um, disappointed with uh, probably the American expression of the church, if I'm frank. Uh, you know, there, it was even a time where I had seen so much um, probably great business principles and even marketing principles and leadership principles, and those things are good. They're actually created by God. But when those become the bedrock of the church, and that's all we're doing at church, the risk is that you actually miss the very presence of God. You miss uh, the Word of God, and, and then you actually become a, a group who is trying to craft a product um, or, or a process and I think my biggest concern at this particular point in my life was if I'm going to be a part of leading a church and if I'm going to be a part of pastoring a church to simply create a product or to simply create a, a process is just not good enough. It, 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 you actually uh, cease to acknowledge the existence of a holy God that transforms human brokenness into sort of a Christ-centered, joy-filled expression of multiple human oneness. I mean, that is what the church is about. It's about the redemptive power of God in every life and then sort of this collective thing that happens when the body of Christ gathers at large. And so to reduce that simply to a product or a process or to marketing and leadership and a slick presentation totally misses what the gospel of Christ Jesus is all about. So I was at this time in my life where I needed to sort of get back to the basics of Christianity. I needed to get back um, kind of to the bedrock of the word. And what did my Jesus, what did this Jesus, what did my father actually institute? And what did he mean by the local church. And it was fascinating because that was a point in my life where a guy by the name of Dr. Clive Calver walked into my office, and it wasn't too long that we built a relationship, and he invited me to go to Israel. And that trip to Israel was absolutely life-changing for me. It, it was actually like there was something in me that needed to go and put my hands in the soil where Jesus stood. I needed to see what my Jesus saw. I needed to experience what he felt. I, I needed to uh, have this whole sort of revelation of the gospel. And I, I actually had to go almost touch the garment of his robe. And so I, I journeyed to Israel, and it was this amazing trip of um, all high-capacity leaders from around the globe. They all had these enormous resumes, and when they asked me what I did, I was like, oh, I'm a landscaper. And, but it was this beautiful, beautiful trip because what happened is it got me um, back in touch with this Jesus and, and what he was actually like. I put my, my hands in the soil. I stood where he stood. I wept where he wept. I went to places where he gathered, places where he preached. And I actually um, brought back a rock 
from a place called Aramis Heights. And Aramis is this um, gorgeous natural stone amphitheater that, that is on the, the bay of the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And it was there that he preached the Sermon on the Mount. It was there where he shared the Beatitudes. It was there where he would have been seated and shared this salt and light passage that we just read. But it, it was like I had to go and almost re-experience what is the gospel of Christ Jesus? And, and is there hope beyond a slick, clean, well-presented church. In other words, does this gospel actually change lives? And as lives are being changed, can people then sort of come together in a perfectly imperfect gathering of messiness where oneness in Christ Jesus can happen? In other words, can people actually forgive one another and walk together? And can the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives bring us together and actually provide hope for a lost and broken world? Heading into that trip, I was literally going, Lord, if if that can't be church, I don't want to be part of it. Because something that is simply slick and presentational is not good enough uh, for me. I I, I want to see lives changed and, and brokenness restored and people coming together and imperfect people joining together into the body with gifts that complement one another in such a way that the very power and presence of the Lord Jesus emanates in a beautiful way. So this name Saltbox literally began to take shape inside of me as I stood where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. As I stood there, I actually read this passage, you are the salt of the earth. And what's fascinating to me is every kitchen would have had a little box that contained salt. And the whole point of the salt box would have literally been to take salt out of the box and get it um, onto meat to preserve the meat or to use as something that would um, actually preserve or or, um, act as an antiseptic for a cut. Um, It was used as a condiment to season food. But every kitchen literally had a salt box. And so the entire idea of salt box began to take shape inside of my heart and in Abby's heart because it literally is a place where um, sort of we gather together as people, but then always we are intending to go out from to change our sphere, to change anything and everything we have influence over, to bring the power of the gospel and to emanate the power of the gospel into the world around us. So, you know, let's, let's pause there just a second. Let me give you some background even on salt because we were working through all this as we, as we came up with this name or as the Lord gave us this name, Saltbox. So um, Rome, uh, like almost every major Italian city, was purposely built near a salt works um, station that was situated at the mouth of the Tiber River. And so when the Romans moved their salt works further away, they actually built their first great road, and it was called the Via Salaria, or the Great Salt Road. And and that was the busiest ingress-egress point from Rome. And it's fascinating that it all um, sort of oriented around salt. So you have this... um, this a, a, a secular city that is being built and it all orients around salt, which is, I think, why the Lord Jesus even picked this as kind of the main point of, of what he's just shared. It's interesting, too. If you look at animals in the wild, so herbivores that are eating mostly um, plants always seek out a salt lick and uh, a place where they can ingest salt because they need salt. And early on, in human development, when humans ate primarily wild game, we ingested uh, sufficient salt that we didn't need um, additional salt to meet our dietary needs. However, 
as diets changed and we began to farm more and cultivate crops, vegetables and grains, we actually need to supplement our diets with salt. So another interesting thing that I uncovered in this journey was in Leonardo da Vinci's painting, The Last Supper. If you look really close at his painting and you look at Judas, in front of Judas is literally um, a thing of salt, a little salt cellar, and it's literally been dumped over and the salt has spilled out onto the table. And what's fascinating is Leonardo is trying to capture here the essence that here at the Last Supper, um, Judas has spilled his salt. Judas' salt now needs to be cast out. It's now worthless. And he literally betrays Christ Jesus. And then it's not too many days later that Judas actually hangs himself. So I thought, what a fascinating way for Leonardo to actually capture what's going on in Judas's life with this spilled salt. Another thing that I thought was interesting is salt taxes um, variously solidify or helped um, dissolve and destroy the power of governments. Two, two examples of that. For centuries, the French people uh, were forced to buy all their salt from the royal depots. So the salt tax was so high during the reign of Louis XVI that it became a major point of, of grievance and it eventually ignited uh, the French Revolution. Uh, the other thing that I thought was fascinating is in the 1930s, Mahatma Gandhi actually led a salt march. Uh, so this was a, um, a revolt against the British salt tax, and he led the people to the sea to harvest their own salt. So I think here's the point. Salt has been crucial for human life uh, for centuries and centuries and centuries. And being crucial for human life, it is the thing that I think um, reflects part of the presence and power of God. And then it's part of that DNA that he's planted inside of us. And that's really what we're after capturing, as we've called the church, Saltbox Church. So let's take a look at, at three thoughts as we um, consider the words of Jesus here. But number one, salt was used as a condiment. So it flavored foods, it brought out the flavors. It's even fascinating to me because you put salt in desserts to bring out the sweetness or, or to bring out the flavor. So salt was used as a condiment. Uh, it was also used to purify. It was used um, almost like an antiseptic. Salt was also a preservative. So in, in Judaism, um, in the Old Testament, so, you know, Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, uh, salt was used um, to seal a covenant between God and his people. Salt was also used to seal a, a bargain between people and, and other people. Um, God literally directed uh, in the Old Testament, Leviticus 2.13, that salt be added to the sacrifices, so salt has been this just something of such importance, and God even called it a salt covenant or a covenant of salt with his people. So <clears throat> meat uh, that has been properly salt cured literally will last indefinitely. So it, it, it's, that's that preservative thing. So salt keeps things from going bad, and then it, it keeps sort of um, putrefaction and something from spoiling uh, something else that, that was interesting in this sort of idea, what uh, a soldier's pay um, consisted part in part of salt in the Roman world. And, and it came to be known as uh, a solarium argentum, from which we derive the word salary. And, a, and if a soldier's salary was cut, if he was, quote, not worth his salt. 
So uh, this phrase literally came into being, and then uh, Jesus probably coined the greatest compliment of all time, which is that person is um, sort of a, the salt of the earth. It's when a person is of great worth. You call them, they're, they're a sort of a salt of the earth person. So something that I, I think we would have to um, connect here, and probably would be a miss not to, to, to make this um, connection in our thinking, but literally if salt loses its saltiness, and this is really hard, and if you read different uh, scholars, one, one line of thinking is that in these days, salt was merely white powder. And if you go down and travel around um, the Dead Sea in Israel, there's sort of white powder all over the place. Some of it is salt, literally. Some of it is just road dust. And what would happen, I think, in these days is the two would merge together, and in water, the salt would dissolve, and then the sort of the road dust would remain. And what would remain is literally the stuff that would be no good, that would be thrown out to be trampled by people. So what does it mean then if we lose our saltiness? And I began to go, could that even be linked to a person who loses their joy? I was reflecting on Nehemiah 8 verses 10, which Nehemiah literally is talking to the people and he says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, it's fascinating to me because many times Christians are actually known as people who are bland, uh, people who are boring, um, people who are not joy-filled, people who are actually prudish or even snobbish or holier than thou. There's all sorts of words we could put around that. But uh, those who are truly in Christ, if you're in Christ and if Christ is in you, if you're full of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to radiate uh, joy. You're going to literally be a diffuser of joy or a giver of joy. You're going to be worth your salt. You're going to be salty. You're going to add flavor. You're going to preserve. You're going to um, uh, have even anesthetic power to preserve. You, you, you literally become um, salt in your city, in your work, in your family. I'd even go so far to say as, as Christians, if we're in a neighborhood or a workplace or a school or wherever you're planted, if you're really walking with King Jesus in a powerful way, if you really know the love of Father God, you are not going to leave your sphere of influence unaffected because the love of God, the, the sort of the salt and the flavor of who he is in you and through you just naturally spills out and affects everyone around you. It's fascinating to me because Jesus literally took 12 know-nothing Palestinian peasants. 12 worthless Palestinian peasants. And he called them the salt of the earth and the light of the world because of their God-given potential as they surrender their lives fully to him. I'd actually invite you to begin to see yourself that way. What could God do with you if you're able to surrender your life entirely to him, to let him fill you, to become salt and light? So my first point this morning is salt is used as a condiment. It's used to purify. It's used as a preservative. And it's used because it has antiseptic power. Second point, salt prevents decay. 
the world is uh, putrefying. The world is naturally um, getting uh, darker, and, and salt actually hinders decay. So I, I want to read a quote by a guy that I like by the name of John Stott. And here's what John said. Now Christians are set in a secular society by God to hinder the decaying process. God intends us to penetrate the world. Christian salt has no business to remain snugly in elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. Out place to be rubbed into the secular... Salt is intended to be out and rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat to stop it from going bad. And when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach and even get angry at the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. What else can it do? The question then to ask is, where is the salt? What John is saying there so eloquently and so powerfully is the risk of churches and the risk of Christians is that we withdraw into our little salt cellars, our little ecclesiastical places of perfection. And literally, what we are called to do is go out and become salt and light, to change, to love, to influence, to impact in a way that gently loves, changes, and draws people to Christ Jesus. I'm afraid that many Christians are simply angry at the darkness. They're, they're, they're angry at the putrefying decay that's going on around them instead of sort of rolling up our sleeves and then taking salt from the salt box and rubbing it into the world, actually working it into the meat because that is uh, what preserves, that is what cleanses, that is the thing that purifies you know, we cannot um, go into hiding as Christians. We cannot shield ourselves and, and withdraw from the world. No, no, no. Christ calls us to go into the world, to be a part of the world. Not to be of the world, but to live in the world, to carry salt with us. My third point this morning is kind of a metaphor shift that Jesus does here because he says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he goes in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So just like salt is used to preserve or to stop um, things from spoiling, light, and this is my third point, actually illuminates the darkness. So literally when you turn on a light, it, it pushes back the darkness. So salt purifies. Uh, salt actually um, probably even uh, would, would stop things from going bad, would stop the evil in the world, would, would stop the ugliness, but then it's light that actually brings forth the goodness, brings forth the beauty, brings forth the joy, brings forth the love. So there's this beautiful combination where salt is almost, um, it's, it could even be seen almost like as a defensive or as a, a, a negative because it stops the spoiling. And, and then you have light, which is actually an offensive, very positive, that pushes forward and pushes back the darkness, so light literally illuminates. Even without, um, you know, electricity, if you light a candle or if you have a flashlight or you light an oil lamp, it, it pushes back the darkness. 
So I would actually say to you this morning, our responsibility as Christians, if Christ is in you and you are in him, our responsibility is twofold. First, it's to stop the decay. It's to to stop the evil, to stand against injustice, to illuminate. And and then secondly, it's to illuminate the darkness, um, promoting truth, promoting beauty, promoting the goodness of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, not to run and hide. So as we consider this passage this morning, as we even consider where Saltbox is headed, one of our core values is to be outward focused, to be not hiding in our ecclesiastical salt cellar, like John Stott said, but rather to be focused, moving beyond the walls, moving out into the community, because that's the call of Jesus. So I'd probably say a couple things to you here in closing. Have you tasted of God's goodness. In other words, Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That literally, uh, how do you become salty? You have to taste of him. You have to spend time in his presence, spend time in his word. And as you are being filled with his presence, you are literally becoming salt. That's how you become salt in your city. And then I think I would actually ask you as a believer, have you lost your saltiness? What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Have you lost your joy? Um, Is the joy of the Lord no longer your strength? Perhaps your retirement package has become your fixation. Perhaps politics has become your fixation. Perhaps the trajectory of America has become the thing on which you set your sights. Perhaps your marriage, or even your kids is the thing upon which you fix your gaze. And I would actually say to you and invite you, if you're fixing your gaze on anything but Him, you are missing it. You will not be uh, full of His presence and therefore full of that salty joy of the Lord. I'd invite you to actually repent and go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me and shift that gaze back to Him? Perhaps you're even like me and you've got to get your hands into the soil of the Word. You need to touch his garment. You need to recover hope even in the church or even in people that has been lost. I'd say perhaps you've even gotten angry at a pastor or a church. Perhaps you've been disappointed by a church or a leader. Perhaps you've been disappointed in our country or a political system. And I would say to you, you're Your hope must be in the Lord Jesus, and it's out of our hope being in the Lord Jesus that we can literally take the salt from that salt cellar, and we can be a part of stopping that putrefying process in the world, and we can actually push back the darkness and usher in the radiant light of Christ Jesus. See, my great hope is that I don't belong first to America. I don't belong first to the world. No, no, no. I'm a citizen of heaven. And as such, this is not my home. You know, it's funny because the place that I call home, the address on my driver's license, the, the, the mortgage that I pay, that's not my home. That's a, that's a place that I dwell. But I'm a citizen of another place. I'm a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, I am literally a task with the responsibility of being filled with the presence of Christ Jesus and then becoming salt and becoming light in such a way that it illuminates the darkness, in such a way that it makes people thirsty and They're drawn to Christ Jesus. That is the call. See, the church is not merely a building or a product or a process. 
No, no, no. The church is a relationship, first with God, and then it's a relationship with a group of people, and it's broken at best. And the redemptive power of God in the best situations is always being worked and reworked through the people, asking one another's forgiveness, making amends, walking beside one another, helping someone up when they fall. That's the journey of a church life. There is no perfect church because there's no perfect people. But here's what I know. If you're willing to come to Christ Jesus and go, Lord, would you fill me with your presence, then he will not only fill you, but he will task you to become salt and to become light, to change your world with the power of the gospel. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the journey of life. We praise you that you filled us, you want to fill us. If those who have never met you, you would love to help them into the kingdom, into relationship with you, to make them people who carry salt and who carry light and who shift atmospheres and are world-changing people. Lord, we love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. There's a number on the bottom of this screen, and it actually goes right to my cell phone. And if you're sitting out there watching this, and you go, Michael, I have never given my life to Jesus, you call that number, and I will talk to you and walk you through the journey of surrendering your heart to him and actually taking on the character of likeness of him, the, the journey. It's the first step in a thousand-mile journey, but where you become salt and light. We are thrilled that you've been able to join us today. We'll be here again next week, same time, 10 a.m. on our Facebook Live premiere. As you go from here, may you go sensing the presence of the Lord Jesus, understanding his love more fully, believing that his face is shining upon you and his gracious hand is resting upon your life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.